We're now going to spend some time looking at God's Word together. And uh, if you're new to us, you, uh, you're joining us partway through um, a series that we're doing, working through the seven letters to the church in Revelation. And uh, it's so far been an encouraging and at times challenging and stimulating uh, series looking at these letters to the church. And today we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 3 um, and the church to Philadelphia. So if you've got your Bibles with you um, or on your phone, then feel free to turn to Revelation chapter 3 and join me um, as we look at God's Word together. Alternatively, there are words up on the screen. And as we look at God's Word together as well, feel free to make use of the sermon notes if you'd like to that are on your chairs. And if you're online or prefer things digitally, you can find those in the resources section of the church hub as well. But before we go any further, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way in which it reveals who you are, uh, that it encourages us, that it nurtures us, that it sustains us as we live our lives for you. And so Lord, as we gather to look at uh, this passage together now, we pray that our hearts, that our minds, that our lives would be open to hearing your words to hearing what you might have to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start from Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens no one can shut, And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the honor of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will, I le- will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So over the last few weeks, we've been working through uh, these seven letters to the churches. We've done five so far. This is letter number six, and we'll be finishing our series next week as we uh, look at the church in Laodicea. Um, But over the last few weeks... Um, I hope that you've been blessed and encouraged and challenged and inspired as we've listened of these messages to Jesus, to his church, 
Sometimes when you look at these language of these first couple of chapters of Revelation, you think, that's a letter written to the church? That's Jesus speaking? What, how, why does he speak so cryptically? But that's what we're hearing. This isn't just any old letter of random pictures being pulled together. This is the word of Jesus speaking to his church. Over the last few weeks, I've had a number of conversations with people who, like many of us, I'm sure, have said that they struggle to understand this book of Revelation. It's one of imagery, and that imagery is complex and difficult to understand. So I think it's understandable when we think of it that very few people sort of stick their hand up and go, Revelation's my favorite book in the whole Bible. And if they do, you probably look at them a little bit weird and go, all right, mate, carry on. Um, That's good for you. Um, It's one of those books that is very easily daunting and complex and difficult to navigate. But also, I think it's one of the books that's the most exciting. It's a book that accounts for a revelation of Jesus, a revelation that Jesus shares with his church, that he shares with each one of us today. And that is something that I think we shouldn't be scared of, but it's something that we should get excited about, something we should all embrace. As the church today, we want to see a new revelation of who Jesus is. And that's what is happening in this, in this uh, book that we, as we work our way through it. As we've worked our way through this series, we have started by looking at the context of each of the churches uh, that Jesus sends a letter to. And Philadelphia was just down the road from Sardis, who we were looked at last week. Um, uh, But for a range of reasons, the culture in Philadelphia was totally different to that of Sardis. Philadelphia was a place that had been incredibly uh, susceptible to um, terrible earthquakes. On at least two occasions, uh, the whole city had been decimated by earthquakes. And people were, who used to live in Philadelphia and who did live in Philadelphia were often terrified about the idea of returning back to the city in case they should experience one of these earthquakes and this whole city should be devastated again. However, despite this and, oh, and the many other issues that Philadelphia experienced, it had become a really influential city, especially in spreading Greek culture and language out into the regions around it. So, so far, the, uh, but the most significant uh, thing for the church in Philadelphia uh, and the city of Philadelphia was rooted in its name. Whilst I was on sabbatical, I actually listened to um, a sermon on this passage as I drove from Philadelphia back to Washington. Um, And you can see this principle even in the U.S. today. Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. Uh, This is embraced in the city. There's great big signs of artwork and sculptures with love written on it. The sports teams take this theme of the city of brotherly love and include it in its branding. It's It's a part of the city's identity. If we break the name Philadelphia down, phileia is one of the Greek words for love. It describes a love that is demonstrated between friends. Um, Delphia, on the other hand, is the Greek word for brother. So this city had at its core a sense of community, companionship, 
a city that was defined by brotherly love. As I was preparing uh, this, this message, my mind went back to the series that we did um, uh, at the start of the year, looking at the conversion of Saul on the road to uh, Damascus. And um, if you remember casting your mind back, one of the things that was really significant for Saul was how, as he came to faith in Jesus, the church welcomed him and called him what? Can you remember? Called him brother, brother Saul. Um, and they welcomed him into their community. Philadelphia was the city of brotherly love, but the church is a community of brotherly and sisterly love. The church in Philadelphia is unique amongst all these seven letters because they are not condemned for anything. So far, you've heard all the, posit the, the, the positive um, feedback sandwich, they call it, don't they, where God, or Jesus says to his church, you're doing this really, really well, but... And there's always that but in there. And then he says uh, something more positive again. But Philadelphia is unique in that there is no but. Um, they're not condemned for anything. Life was not always easy for the church in Philadelphia. Jesus himself says in this passage that they are weak, but he never condemns them. There is no such thing as a perfect church, but it is possible for a church to be pleasing to God, to win his affirmation, to win his praise, to get a letter from Jesus that doesn't say but. I imagine, uh, or I, I, I never want our church to be a church that constantly strives to be perfect. That's, that's never going to happen. We're human, we're flawed, we're failures. Uh, projector doesn't work. Whatever it's going to be, you know, it's never going to be perfect. But what I do think we can aim to be as a church is a church that is pleasing to God. A church that gives its best, even when circumstances might be against us. A church that represents Jesus to the world around us and does so well. That even in times of our trial and our weaknesses, we remain faithful and pleasing to God. The church in Philadelphia was a church that was pleasing to God, and so there's a lot that we can learn from them today. So as usual, Jesus starts off this letter to the church by introducing himself to them. He starts by declaring that he is the one who is holy and true, that he's the one who holds the keys. And this image of being the one who holds the keys is one of authority. If you want to come into our church building, um, apart from when it's already open and you're always welcome to come in, uh, but if you want to get access into our church building, then you need to go and speak to the person who has authority to give out the keys. And as you go and speak to them and ask for a key, it's up to them who has the authority to decide whether or not it is right for you to be given keys and therefore access into our church building. Jesus is the one who holds the keys. Um, the Bible tells us he holds the keys of death, hell, and Hades. He holds the keys of the kingdom. But here we're also told 
that he holds the key of David. The imagery of this statement links all the way back to Isaiah 22, where the key to the house of David is given as a way of honoring a good and faithful servant. Jesus here is building a picture of the church in Philadelphia. He is the one who is holy and true. He holds all the power and authority. He is the key holder. This is a church that he says is pleasing and good to him. And they are good because they have been given the key of David. They have proven themselves to be good and faithful servants in the church in Philadelphia. As Jesus looks at this church in Philadelphia, he sees a community that is good and faithful, a church defined by its love for one another. As Jesus says in verse 8, Jesus knows that they are a church that has little strength, yet they have kept his word and not denied his name. They have remained faithful and true. Those of us who've been around Arby Road here for a little while will know sometimes that it's very easy for us to feel like we are weak, like we're a bit helpless, like we're a bit stuck, like we're facing an uphill battle. It's probably something that every church experiences, but we certainly know that it can be our experience here in this place as well. Some might think that that sense of weakness is a problem. Um, how could the church be so negative? We're meant to be optimists. We've got the power of the risen Jesus behind us. How could we possibly feel so weak? We can and we should be a church that is full of faith. We should never lose sight that Jesus is alive. I've said it once more uh, today. Uh, Jesus is alive. We can have confidence. We can have faith. Uh, but that doesn't mean to say that we should ignore our weaknesses. It just means that instead we need to acknowledge them. It is good to pray that God would break through, but recognizing our weaknesses is a sign of strength. It's a sign of being realistic. Our weaknesses only become a problem if they affect our faithfulness. If we say, oh, the circumstances are too tough, I can't do that anymore. That's when it becomes a problem. Jesus is the one who holds the keys. He is holy and true. All authority is his. We might feel weak, but if we remain faithful to him, then we can know with confidence that we are always strong. As Jesus introduces himself to the church, he also talks about the authority he has as the key holder over a variety of different doors. In verse 7, he tells us that what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And if you excuse the pun, this is a truth and a door that swings both ways. Uh, Jesus opens doors that no one can shut. We love the idea of that in the church. Uh, you know, Jesus is opening a door for us, and we're just going to walk through it, and no one can shut it on us. We're just going to walk through where we want to go. That sounds great, it's encouraging, it inspires us. But on the other hand, the doors that he shuts, no one can open. That's a message we feel a little less comfortable with. But I want to go through that door. 
And God's going to stop me doing it? Why? When, we want, when what we want doesn't align with what God wants, Jesus encourages us to take a step back. We need to recognize that it's foolish to keep pushing at closed doors. Where God isn't opening doors for us, we need to keep, stop pushing to go through demanding our will, but instead seeking his will. It's foolish to become disheartened and blame God when, that for doors that do not open. True maturity in Jesus comes when doors close around us and we continue to praise God anyway. We praise him because he stopped us from pursuing our will instead of his will. It might feel like we're stuck. It might feel like there are no more doors that are opening up for us that we're looking for. But will we keep praising Jesus regardless even when the doors that we want to open remain shut? Will we continue to praise Jesus in the hallway and instead continue to trust in his faithfulness that at the right time, the right door will open in the right way? Alongside having the authority to close doors, Jesus tells the church that he has placed before them an open door that no one can shut. That even in the church's weakness, even when they had no strength of their own, this church in Philadelphia was still able to walk through this open door because Jesus had opened it too for them. And what Jesus opens, no one can shut. So the question is, what was this opportunity that had been given to the church in Philadelphia? What was this open door? Well, scholars have discussed and debated what this door might have been. But the consensus seems to be that this door was the opportunity for the advancement of the gospel, for the good news of Jesus going out from Philadelphia out into the world. Philadelphia was an influential city in framing and shaping the culture of the Greek world around it. And the church in Philadelphia were in a unique position that in this influential city, they had the opportunity to not just influence the world around them with the Greek culture and language, but to share Jesus as they did so. To take the good news of who Jesus is and share it with the region all around them. And so as we think about Jesus as the one who opens and closes doors, I wonder how that might sit with us today. Where might it be that we feel that Jesus is closing doors? And maybe we're being tempted to keep pushing through what we want to see happen. And Jesus is saying, don't close. What I close, no one can open. So don't keep pushing. Simultaneously, where might you be ideally placed? Where might we as a church be ideally placed and situated to be able to walk through a door, even in our weakness, that Jesus might um, use us for his kingdom and for his glory. For us, one of the big things that we think, it's no coincidence that we are a church here serving the community here in North Cambridge. We think that's a a door that God has opened to us, and even though we feel weak, it's something we can continue to hold on to. But what else? Or what doors might God be opening in your life? What doors might God be opening for us as a church that even in our weakness, 
we might continue to walk through them. Can I encourage us all that even where we feel weak, even where we feel inadequate, even where we might be full of doubts, to have that confidence as a church to say we might not have any strength in our own ability, but we're going to continue to pursue the door that Jesus is opening for us and have the confidence that he will never close it. Jesus, alongside the uh, promise of never closing an open door, says in, and makes a number of other promises to this church in Philadelphia. In verse 9, he promises the church justice. It looks like one of the reasons that the church in Philadelphia felt so weak was because there was a group who were claiming to be Jews, but were actually working for much darker forces, this synagogue of Satan, as Jesus writes in his letter. And we don't know exactly what pressures the church was facing. We don't know the impact of what this was having on the church. But one thing we do know is that we can entrust the justice to Jesus. Where we are facing pressure, we're facing difficulties and injustice, We can hand that over to Jesus. We can know that he sees it. And as he sees it, we can know that he's the God of all justice and he will deal with it. He is the key holder. And he can unlock the chains and the power of injustice. Even if we are weak, even if we feel like we're being persecuted and pushed down by those around us, Jesus can turn the tables even those who persecute may come uh, and bow down or fall down before those who were, they were previously oppressing and recognize how much God has loved them. Jesus also promised the church protection. In verses 10 and 11, he tells the church that he will keep them from the house of trial that is going to come on the, on, on the whole world. But there's a condition to this protection that Jesus promises the church. This promise is a reward for the church's faithfulness. Verse 10 starts by saying that since you have kept my command to endure patiently, if we are to experience the protection of God, then we too have to remain faithful to him. He is the one who is faithful and true. When he makes a promise, we can know that it will be fulfilled. The church of Philadelphia might have felt like they were weak. They might have felt like they were being treated unjustly. But because they remained faithful to Jesus, they could have hope. Hope that their weakness would give them strength. All the church needed in order to receive this hope was to hold on. Jesus says to them, you've already got a crown. You already are victorious. All they needed to do was to hold on, to keep on going, to remain faithful, to not let anyone distract them. As the church held on to Jesus, Jesus' next promise to them is of a new identity. In uh, paganism, one of the ways that people were honored was by having their names inscribed on pillars in a temple. But Jesus says to the church that if they continue to hold on, 
if they kept the faith, then he would make them victorious and he would honor them and make them a pillar in a new temple. People had fled Philadelphia because of this fear of continuous earthquakes. Um, But in this new temple, Jesus says no one will leave it. There's a new world coming, a new identity that you can have as God's people in this place. In Jesus, we not only find hope, but we also find a new identity. An identity that no matter how much the world around us might feel like it's being shaken and falling in on us, it can never be destroyed. An identity in which we can find true peace and security. An identity not defined by my name, but by the name of Jesus. And this is one of the great stories that we see throughout Scripture. If we look back right to the start of the Bible in Genesis, God shows up to Abram and he says, I'm going to give you a new name and you will be Abraham, the father of all God's people. He takes Sarai and he turns it into Sarah. He meets with Jacob, the deceiver, and he turns him into Israel. He took Simon and gave him the name Peter, on whom he would build his church, the rock on whom he would build his church. And then he met Saul, and he turned him into Paul, one of the most significant apostles in all of history. As we remain faithful, Jesus says to us and to his church, I will give you a new name too. But that name is a sign of our new identity in Jesus. That we who were once blind are now able to see. That we who were once dead are now alive with Jesus. That we who once had no hope and can now be full of hope. This is the promise of Jesus. Not just to the church in Philadelphia, but also to each one of us here today as well. A common theme throughout all of these letters to the church in, uh, in Revelation is the fr- refrain that we hear at the end of this letter in verse 13. It sits in all seven letters, and Jesus says to the church, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This phrase is said to each of the seven churches. It's one that we probably need to listen to. Whether it was Philadelphia that was a church that was pleasing to God, um, never perfect, but pleasing and doing its best, or whether it was a church that was facing pressures or that had lost its way and needing a bit of correction, Jesus signs off his letter to the church in the same way. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And may this be true for us here at Arbury Road uh, today. We want to be a church that fans the flames of the Spirit in each of our lives and throughout our church. But the first step to this is to listen, to be attentive to what the Spirit wants to say to us. So what is the Spirit saying to you this morning? What is the Spirit saying to Arbury Road Baptist Church today? What doors have we been pushing at only for them to remain closed? Will we keep on pushing or will we listen to what the Spirit says 
and find the open door that Jesus wants to lead us through? Will we surrender? Have we been holding on to the keychain, saying, I want the authority, I want the power? Or instead, will we let go, surrender our grip, and recognize that it is Jesus who holds the keys, that he has the authority, that he is the key holder? Will you step into the new identity that Jesus has for you? Will you hold on to his promises? Will you remain faithful to him who is faithful and true? Where the Spirit leads, the door is always open. So may we have ears to hear what God is saying to each one of us individually and also as we gather together as a church family here in this place in North Cambridge. Let's pray together. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Lord Jesus, in the quiet, in the still, we say again, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you move? Would you have your way in us and in our lives? Jesus, you are the one who is the key holder. You are faithful and true. And as you have all authority over heaven and earth, Lord, we too want to be a church that is pleasing to you. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Would you continue to lead us? Would you continue to guide us? Would you open those doors that no one uh, can shut? And would you keep us faithful and true, not pushing at doors that you have already closed? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, we have ears to hear what you want to say to us today. Amen.